Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 63 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me a repeat guest, Gretchen Baskerville, who if you have listened to this podcast for a while, she has been with us three times prior to this. You can find her, and I know you're going to want to after you hear this episode, you can find her on episodes 33, 35, and 56. Gretchen is the author of The Life-Saving Divorce. And it's a newly released book. I've talked about it on my blog and she's actually meant, we've talked about it in the past episodes, but that was prior to it being released. Now it's actually released. And I want to talk with Gretchen more about why she wrote the book and, and even um, address some of the issues that women are most concerned about when they're thinking about getting a divorce. So Gretchen, welcome to the podcast again. Hey, it's great to be with you, Natalie. Okay, so Gretchen, I am curious, and I think the listeners might be as well, why in the world did you want to write a book about divorce? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's a nice Christian girl like me doing, <laughs> becoming a divorce advocate? <laughs> exactly, you're like a marriage breaker upper, come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and just, just to, to assure everyone, I mean, my Christian bona fides are amazing, you know, I was brought up in a devout Christian home, my parents have been happily married for 60 years and, and going strong to this day, you know, I was raised, um, you know, devoutly evangelical. I read all the Elizabeth Elliot Passion and Purity, you know, <laughs> books. Um, and uh, I, I'm a boomer. So actually, I, I got married before uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye ever came out. But we, mm. we had our own uh, version of purity culture long before uh, that book came out because we had Passion and Purity, which taught us to be very passive uh, that we couldn't take any kind of initiative, that we had to mind read, do a lot of mind reading with the person we were dating and so forth. And then also fa uh, books like Fascinating Girlhood. So same kind of principles. Our rules were a little bit different uh, as boomers. Um, you know, we could, we could uh, kiss and make out, but, but our hands <laughs> could not go wherever a bathing suit covered. So those were our rules. But the, you know, the other rules about, you know, if you do everything right, you're going to have this deep, close connection with your spouse, and you'll have mind-blowing sex. Yeah. Um, and and th the formulas were there. We, we still had the formulas that promised us these amazing marriages as long as we did every single step. And that included, you know, the guy would ask the girl's father for permission to date her, and then eventually to prove that he was financially stable and then ask for her hand in marriage. So all variations of these purity culture rules existed way back in, you know, baby boomer and even of course in prior generations as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you ask, you know, why did, why did I write this book? Well, 25 years ago, I went through a life-saving divorce. I, I was in a situation where, I just could not stay, and I was terrified for my children, and I was worried about, you know, all these messages, you know, that, that you're a quitter, you, you know, 
I knew I wasn't a quitter because I knew what was going on behind closed doors. I knew what all the secrets were, but uh, I was worried that other people would condemn me and look down on me and so on and so forth. And so I did choose to get a life-saving divorce. I was very worried for my kids, but fast forward to the good news. My children are now adults. Uh, they, they completed their educations. They are great human beings. They are wonderful employees, wonderful friends. Everybody likes them, and they do a great. They're a great asset to our to our society. So, um, so you so you didn't end up in a trailer park eating cat food then? No, no. Even though I had at the time of my, I, I didn't see my divorce coming. I, I, I actually there was a a moment in time where I caught my husband doing something horrible. And my mind went completely numb. I hadn't stored up money for this. I hadn't, um, I hadn't prepared for this in any way. I knew he was, yeah, I knew he had serious, serious problems in his life. And we had, you know, fasted and prayed and gone to church marriage retreats and seen, oh, umpty zillion counselors. But, you know, it, and I had even resigned myself to the fact that, you know, happiness in marriage is really overrated and, you know, I'll just keep mm -hmm. plugging through. But, uh, you know, I didn't have any money stored away. I was only working kind of, I had a little home-based business and I was making $500 a month. And I mean, that wouldn't even cover, you know, my housing. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I looked at the future and I was just terrified and my father said to me, you know, trust God, obey, uh, bring, you know, just pay one bill at a time. Don't project all your fears out into the future. Because when we project all of our fears out into the future, we aren't projecting God's grace and God's power out into the future. And God's grace and power and his love. Remember the, you know, we all know those verses, you know, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. This is the time to remember those great verses. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's what happened. I don't even know how I made it through the first year. That was a miracle to me. But, you know, through borrowing from my parents um, and, you know, getting rid of my acrylic nails and <laughs> really cutting down on everything, you know, we made it through. And um, I, you know, I, I had been in the workforce before. I'd been a, a pretty good salesperson. I knew that I could make good money in sales. And so I weighed off, should I stay with my little home-based business or should I go back into the sales force? And um, in my case, I felt like the Lord was calling me to stay uh, in, in, and work in my own uh, home-based business, which ended up taking off and, and doing well and eventually giving me a living wage. Two years after my divorce, women's ministries at my church, they knew that I was a, a devout Christian. I had a Bible degree from Wheaton College. And they said, you know, we've got a lot of single moms and divorcees in this church. Would you start a support group for them? So I and another woman started a support group. And wow, was it fabulous. I mean, the level of, of sharing and intimacy and camaraderie was better than any Bible study I'd ever been in. And we really cared about one another and called each other and really supported each other. And over time, as I listened to their stories, I heard amazing stories of total horror, you know, domestic violence, women who, you know, having knives thrown at them, uh, women being dragged by their heels and, and thrown against walls and things like that. And um, I, 
I thought, you know, I don't think our churches really understand what's going on here. And I started really exploring scripture and realizing, you know, God does not want us treated this way. And we're being treated even we innocent spouses were being treated by like second-class citizens in our churches. We were being uh, removed from leadership positions and things like that, even on the worship team. Even though we, we were the faithful spouses, we were the ones who kept trying over again. And we were the ones who kept walking in the door when we knew good and well that our spouse was going to do something horrible or, or abuse us again. And so after a while, women would come to my group and say, you know, you're saying things we've never heard from anyone else. You really need to write a book. And I thought, yeah, 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 I'll write a book someday. And um, so um, I would would write chapters of the book. So a lot of the research in this book, I started maybe 10, 20 years ago. I wanted to know, how did I ever get into a horrible marriage like this? And what can I say to my children to keep them from getting into horrible marriages? Um, And what can I do to educate other evangelical churches and our youth pastors so that they don't create an environment where young people get into horrible marriages. So I started researching that really early. In fact, my uh, chapter two of my book is really research that goes back literally probably 10 or 15 years as I looked back on what are we doing wrong that so many good Christian women are getting into these horrible, horrible relationships. Mm -hmm. So I was single for 20 years. I was a single mother for 20 years after my uh, after my divorce, and, and people can listen to my story in episode 33, and God just blessed me abundantly. Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Those first few years were just really tough, and I did have a lot of court abuse in my story. I was dragged into court um, every year for 10 years uh, over custody, and yet God was with us, and we survived, and uh, we ended up thriving. And uh, I'm just really, I I just, I love to tell the story of God's faithfulness through all of this. So uh, 20 years, after 20 years of being single, I I finally uh, remarried and I have a wonderful husband who loves the the snot out of me. (laughs) 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 He loves loves feisty women. He loves outspoken women. It doesn't, he's not at all intimidated by the fact that I did well in my career and, and he just thinks it's awesome. You know, you go girl. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who said, You've got a. You have so much to say on this topic. You've got to write a book. So I'm sorry. That's sort of a long explanation for why I wrote it. But I finally, uh, you know, sat down and started writing. And then I got a good kick in the pants from uh, you and a few other people um, online. And then I, I was part of an executive roundtable, a completely secular group in here in Los Angeles. And the men and women in that group said, you know what? You've got a lot to say. You've got to write a book. Yep. So that's how it started. That is incredible. And you know what I think is interesting too, is that it was within the context of actually being married to a healthy man that you were able to put this thing out in the world that can, has the potential to change. Well, it, it is changing lives. Hmm. I just think that, um, you know, when the church tries to keep people in dysfunctional marriages, they're actually, they don't even realize that they're actually playing into Satan's game and mm. neutralizing people from actually doing the work of Jesus Christ in the world. It's phenomenal. Um, Absolutely. 
I mean, and I didn't write my book either until I was remarried and had the same thing, had a husband who just loves everything about me, loves that I'm a leader, loves that and encourages me to be everything that I can be. So I think that's awesome. Um, Okay. So one of the things that I want to talk about, especially today, is how your book addresses three different issues. Because the women that I work with, when they are thinking about, you know, a lot of the women come to me and they're trying to figure out, am I, you know, I, my marriage is so confusing and painful. Is it really as bad as all that? Is there any way that I can stay or should I stay or should I leave or what should I do? And they're presenting to me with all the signs and symptoms of having been abused. Okay. Over a long period of time, but they are concerned about three things. They they don't know for sure if divorce is going to be life-saving. They think that, I mean, they know that their life right now is definitely not life-giving, but in their minds, they're thinking if I get a divorce though, it's going to destroy my relationship with God. They're concerned about that's going to destroy my kids and it's going to destroy me financially. So it doesn't sound like a life-saving divorce to me. What would mm-hmm. you say to, how would you address those three things in a, in a woman, those three concerns that a woman would have? Well, in a 30-minute podcast, I probably can't, but let me give you a, a few places to start. I've got an entire chapter, chapter six in my book, The Life-Saving Divorce, is all on God's protection of women and all the Bible verses about uh, allowing divorce for abuse, for infidelity, uh, for neglect, uh, for failure to provide. And so, but let me, let me start with the big, the big taboo that our churches always point to. And they always point to Malachi 2, 15 and 16, where they claim, I've heard this all of my life. They claim that what that Bible verse says is I hate divorce or God hates divorce. But in reality, that's a bad translation. I'm not, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a bad interpretation. I am actually saying they've got the Hebrew wrong. It's a bad translation. Mm-hmm. It, if you pull out, you can go online right now, stop the podcast for just a moment, and go online to a Hebrew interlinear Bible. And remember, it l- reads left to right. They have them online. And you will see that it doesn't say, I hate divorce. And it doesn't say God hates divorce. Uh, Several Bible translations do have it right. The New International Version has it right. And even the English Standard Version, the ESV, has it right. Which has so many other things wrong, but they do have that one right. (laughs) They've got that one right. Thank goodness. So let me read it to you in um, in, uh, the... uh, So let's let's take that one. Let's take the ESV. It says... For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God is not against all divorce. God is against treacherous divorce. The divorce where an abusive man who just takes advantage and exploits his wife and of course, uh, there are men in this situation too. So I don't mean to make this all that men are all the bad guys and women are all the good guys. Um, and abandons the faithful, innocent spouse. Um, those are the divorces God hates. 
But God is a divorcee himself. If you look at Jeremiah 3.8, he divorced Israel because marriage is not an unconditional contract. Marriage, the Bible talks both, about both conditional and unconditional contracts. God made some conditional contracts with Israel, but he made two, I'm sorry, God made some unconditional contracts with Israel, but he made two conditional contracts with them. And marriage is a good example of a conditional contract. And God told them, you've committed spiritual adultery. I'm divorcing you. So even God is a divorcee. So I want to just make it really clear. And if you want more, I've got a whole chapter on this. Uh, And I think it also uh, bears mentioning that uh, just in the last couple of months, a uh, a man who signed and and authored the Danvers statement, you know, the complementarian statement, actually came out in favor of of divorce for abuse himself. So, um, you know, the tide is turning on this, yeah. and if you're if you're staying in that marriage because you you know believe that God doesn't allow for divorce, read my chapter on this. God does allow mm-hmm. uh, divorce for abuse. Yes, that it's a great chapter, and I'll point out too that um, she had uh, Dr. David Instone Brewer, who's written who ha- pr- prior to this, his book is the one that I would always recommend to people. It's called, um, and I still recommend it. It's called "Divorce and Remarriage in the Church," and he is a scholar out of the oh, out of Britain, Cambridge, right? yeah, Cambridge, right, and. Um, <clears throat> incredibly intelligent man and done, done his homework plus. Um, and he actually came in and edited your, that chapter or yeah, he, he edited that chapter for me. He went over it twice. Now, you know, if there are any errors, they're mine, not his, but, uh, absolutely. And he, he, he went over the chapter with a fine tooth comb. So, uh, even though I do have a Bible degree, I didn't feel like I was qualified to write on this. And so I was really thrilled to to have him uh, come in and work on it. And he gave me the book, a great endorsement afterwards. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's, this is such a good book. I'm, we were talking about it earlier, how um, she couldn't find a traditional publisher to publish it because, of course, the content is so... Um, it, it's so non-traditional as far as, you know, Christian publishers... What, what they're looking for, but it's too bad because I think that this is where we're headed. This, this is truth. And I think we're starting to, um, the church, the cat with a capital C church of Jesus Christ is starting to recognize the grave errors that they've made in this area that has exploited women and children in the name of God. And mm. we're starting to turn that. So just like in the past, in history, in all of history, there's been points of where God has revealed more and more of who he is and more and more of his heart. And then the church shifts and the gospel goes out in even greater power because of that. And I really think that this is one area, stronghold of Satan. And I think that the shift is starting to take place. I'm super excited about it. And you women who are listening, you or even pastors or other you know, counselors, you guys are on the cut. You guys are on the cutting edge of this whole thing. You are the pioneers. You are the people, those of you who are divorced and you've gone through so much pain and you've had no support. You are the pioneers, you know, the pioneers, they went out there and they did all the messy work before the, the rest of the people followed. 
And that's what we've been doing here. And I think you can be proud of yourselves and you can, you can um, just feel like you have been, are being used by God in really powerful ways in, in history. So I just wanted to, I went on a little rant there, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the church has to adjust to society. And um, one of the most powerful things, I don't know if you saw that article in Christian Today, uh, February 4th, 2020, it, it came out and what it, the, the graph at the very bottom of the article showed how badly evangelicals are doing with divorcees. Uh, we are, our divorcees, we have done, we have demonized divorcees so badly that they don't want to come to evangelical churches. Now they do show up in droves, but a huge number, 20% of them don't just because of the negative, um, you know, the negative messaging they get from the pulpit or from Christian authors and Christian radio broadcasts. It's, it's uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. If the evangelical church wants to grow, the yeah. last thing they should be doing right now is demonizing divorcees and, and saying the divorce is evidence of moral decay in society, when in reality, tolerating or, abuse, uh, tolerating or ignoring uh, abused wives is evidence of moral decay in our churches. Amen. Amen. That is a great quote. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Okay. So what about, can you talk a little bit about the, the financial aspect and then the kids aspect too? Yeah. Uh, I was hoping I could find, uh, get my hands on a study I just uh, ran across recently, but what they're discovering is that now women after divorce aren't doing as badly as they used to. Uh, and it's because of what they call human capital, which means a lot of us had uh, some level of job experience uh, before we married or even early in our marriages. And so we now have skills and knowledge and experience that women, you know, 50 and 100 years ago don't, you know, didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so we're a lot better able to get back on our feet. Now, again, I want to be really clear. It took me probably three years to feel like I, you know, there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel for me financially. Mm-hmm. And within seven years, I was just, I was, you know, contributing to my retirement fund and, and doing great. So. Well, I and can want, I jump in here really quick? Yeah, go for it. Go say, for it. I just want to say that for a lot of women, they were being financially abused or their husbands were in the same way that their husband's character was showing up very negatively in the relationship. It was showing up really negatively in relationship with money Mm. and they weren't necessarily in a good place. I know a lot of women who financially were in a very bad place. They didn't have any financial autonomy whatsoever in their relationship. And these are women, these are smart women. They get right. out of that relationship where they do have financial autonomy and they really make a go of it like you did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're, if, if you've got any kind of drive or, you know, a, a go getter, you can do this. And, and frankly, you know, the, the workplace is looking for anybody who's honest and hardworking. Mm-hmm. If you're honest and hardworking and you bring, um, you know, you bring, your integrity to the workplace, you're really valuable. And so I wouldn't, you know, um, I think that women have a lot more going for them than they think, but they've been talked down to so much by their abuser that they've lost their confidence and their self-respect and, and uh, they don't 
think that they can make it, but in many cases you can. Yep. Yep. I love that. So what about kids? This is like the heart Mm. of every woman out there. This is where they're, this is their most tender spot. Mm. They're worried about their kids. Absolutely. And boy, there's nothing a good parent worries about more than their children. Uh, And the good news is that a lot has changed in divorce and the outcomes of children in the last 25 years. And so let me give you a a few stats, but my chapter seven is all about kids and divorce. And there's a lot of good news. So, you know, when I divorced 25 years ago, we didn't even have access to uh, these these studies. But now they're saying that eight in 10 kids um, who, uh, you know, whose parents divorce have no social, emotional, or psychological problems, serious emotional, social, and psychological problems long-term. Okay, so of course they're going to feel the stress in the middle of the, the, this big, you know, divorce battle. And in, in the middle of the divorce process, of course, they're going to, you know, struggle. You may have to move, make new friends, go to a different school. Of course, that's going to be tough on them. But what researchers have also discovered is that um, if you are in a high conflict or very high conflict home, uh, where there's you know abuse or put downs or just even invisible um, invisible abuse going on covert abuse that's causing tension and egg, uh, walking on eggshells and agitation the kids sense that I I know my three year old sensed that you know 25 years ago when I divorced um, absolutely sensed it um, even though. You know, he never saw us fighting. We never did anything on the surface. But wow, you know, we're in denial if we think the kids aren't catching on to that. And what what the what researchers discovered was that if you are in one of these high conflict or high distress or very high distress marriages, it is it it was ten times better for you and ten times better for the children if you got out of a very high conflict home than if you had stayed. You know, we don't have a choice. You know, uh, I, you'll, you'll see it in, on all sorts of conservative think tanks and websites. Oh, well, you know, being raised in a, in a functional, happy two-parent home is better for kids. Of course it's better for kids, but we don't have that option. Right. We don't have that option. So our, the real question for us was, is it better to stay in this abusive high tension, high stress, agitated home, or is it better for our kids to leave? And what researchers have known for 20 years is it's better to go. Mm. And my, my book goes, I have, I, this book has over 200 footnotes. If you don't believe me, I just, I've got every single study um, down to who wrote it, what year, the name of a study, who published it, and the page number. You can look, for, look at it yourself. Yeah, this is um, a well-researched book. I was so <laughs> impressed. And in fact, oh, hey, I've got, for those of you who don't, you know, aren't convinced, if you want a little bit of a taste of it, go to uh, my website and, and sign up for my uh, free email list. And I'll down, you can download something called seven effective ways to deal with criticism when you divorce. And it has some of these children's studies in it. And where you'd go is uh, lifesavingdivorce.com 
forward slash courage. So lifesavingdivorce.com forward slash courage. Sign up for my email list and you'll get an automatic um, email coming back to you with a link to seven effective ways to deal with criticism when you divorce. So another thing you should know about a kids that has changed in 25 years is, um, remember they used to say, uh, if you get divorced, you're, chi- you're dooming your children's marriages because they're going to be more likely yes. to get divorced. Yes. We, we heard that over and over and over again. And 25 years ago, guess what? That was true. But it's not true anymore. Hmm. Now, okay, I'll give you the exact stats. The man who did the original research 25 years ago is still alive and well and still researching this topic. And he just updated his stats last year. And he said, as of now, um, most adults whose parents divorced do not divorce. In fact, the majority of people whose parents divorce have lifelong marriages. So let me give you the exact stats for those of you who like numbers. 45% of adults whose parents divorced got divorced themselves in this study. And 41% of adults whose parents did not divorce got divorced. So do the math here. We're talking about only 4% difference. And four percent, so four in four in one hundred. We're talking like that's negligible in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a good reason to stay. Um, well, it, and it, you know what? When I think about my older kids who watched the whole thing and you know with a and understood exactly what was going on, they all have. If you talked with any of them, they all have a. They have more understanding, relationship understanding, like emotional intelligence than I ever had when I was their age. And they are more, I think that they're more apt to see or recognize a pathological relationship um, and avoid getting into one. I know they all, you know, I mean, I, I, one of them for sure is like, I will not, I'm, I'm waiting a long, I don't even know if I'm going to get married, but if I do, it's going to be a long, I'm going to make sure I know this person inside and out. Whereas back in our day, we mm-hmm. were just like, we felt pressure by the, even by Christians to just get married, like just get married. You know, you're 20, get married. Right. And, it was one of the messages. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's so stupid. When you think <laughs> about it, like date someone at so many of the women that I work with, they got married in their, they met their man at church, got married when they were in their early 20s and without even really understanding or knowing who they were as well as who their partner was. Yep. No life experience. And then we were given the message that any two people who were Christians, you know, God yes. would protect their marriage and God would make their marriage happy. Right. Uh, or or if, if at least not happy, you know, that it would be a good marriage. Right. Uh, All if, you, you needed know. was to make sure the other person was a Christian. If, the, if you could check that box, you're good to go. Right. And boy, <laughs> that, that was really naive. Yeah. Uh, let me throw in one more. Um, and I, like I said, chapter seven in my book on kids and divorce is just packed full of, of quotes and data and, you know, uh, really important uh, information. But one of the things we were always uh, threatened with is that our kids would have drug and alcohol problems. So um, I went to a, a long longitudinal study and here's what I found. The vast, first of all, your kids are not likely to have alcohol or drug problems if you divorce. The vast majority of kids in America 
Um, even in single parent and step parent families don't have any substance abuse problems. So let me give again, for those number geeks out there, I'll give you the actual numbers. Only six in 100 adolescents in single mother families had substance abuse problems. That means 94 in 100 single mother families had no substance abuse problems. Wow. Now, should we look at, at two parent families? Here we go. Only five in 100 adolescents in two parent families had substance abuse problems. 95 in 100 two-parent families have no substance abuse problems. So again, this is negligible. Okay, right. so a 1% difference. Is that worth keeping your kids in that home and having them observe you being abused or experiencing abuse yourself? I mean, the, the ACE study from Kaiser Permanente in 1998 told us if our kids were either experiencing themselves or observing you know, abuse or uh, sexual, physical um, uh, abuse, or their parent being abused, or uh, uh, there was substance abuse in the home, um, you know, that that would give them, uh, if they saw enough of these adverse childhood events, um, that this would affect their adult health. And, you know, why didn't anyone tell us this? They just told us that we had to stay and pray and try harder and forgive over and over and go the extra mile over and over. They, they completely concealed from us the damage this was doing to our children. Right. Well, and that's just the thing. Divorce is a symptom of a much more insidious problem. Mm -hmm. And people, when, when kids grow up in being traumatized in that way, that is more like that is what leads to things like substance abuse and eating disorders and other kinds of pathologies it's not a, it's not divorce divorce okay. is just a symptom divorce is what happens when there is something very dysfunctional going on in that marriage yeah and i would say my children will tell you absolutely they they have both individually come to me and said i'm so glad you divorced dad yeah because our lives would have been really tense and dysfunctional had we not. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they have expressed that more than once. Uh, I do want to bring up one other topic okay. um, on the importance of divorce in society. And I know, again, I feel, you know, it's so strange to be this nice Christian girl promoting divorce, but it is, it is life-saving. It is literally life-saving. So, Prior to 1969, you had to go before a judge and prove via airtight evidence, usually collected by a private investigator or something, that your spouse was cheating on you or had been drunk and missed work a certain number of days and things like that. And the judge, you could actually go and hire an attorney and go to court and the judge could actually say, no, I don't think, I don't think you you should get a divorce and send you right back to your abuser. Um, and then in 1969, starting in California, signed into law, uh, or the, uh, then Governor Ronald Reagan signed the first no-fault divorce bill in the state of California. And from that point on, all the other states kind of fell in line over the next 13 or 14 years. And, uh, and almost all of them passed some kind of no-fault divorce. 
as you know, there's no federal divorce law in, in, in the United States. Every, every state has its own variation on it. But the researchers said, wow, this is a moment in time where we can see what happens when you allow people to divorce for any reason, for, for irreconcilable differences, and they don't have to go before a judge and prove how badly they were beaten or how contemptuously they'd been treated. So the researchers all lined up, all the family sociology researchers just watched. And over time, because they knew what date no fault went, uh, divorce went into effect in every single one of these states. So it was an amazing event in human history. And over time, what happened was they saw the suicide rate of wives decrease by about 20%. Wow. The domestic violence rate by and against, yes, <laughs> domestic violence rate by and against men and women decreased by about thirty percent, and the homicide rate against women by intimates decreased five to ten percent. So, if your pastor or your church leaders are telling you to stay, they're putting up barriers to a life-saving divorce. They are, in some form, sending you messages that are increasing suicide, domestic violence, and homicide. And we just can't do that. And I want to reach out to any pastors or church leaders who are listening to this. Stop it. We cannot be promoting these messages any longer because we are killing people with these messages. Mm-hmm. I want to close with one last question. I'm wondering if you have ever um, talked with a woman who's been divorced, who's maybe five years out or more, who, ha- who looks back and really regrets it. They really wish that they would never have gotten divorced. Yeah, I, I, I have. I have. Uh, it's really rare. I would say that in 20 years of doing divorce recovery work, um, I, th- I would say that I only know one. And she was a woman who filed for divorce in an effort to get her husband uh, to proclaim his undying love for her. And uh, she really hoped that she, what she was doing was threatening him. You know, if you, know, um, if you don't beha- behave better uh, or if you don't show more love for me. He was actually a decent guy. She never, ever said that he was abusing her. Um, so she threatened him with divorce and then went through with it. And when he didn't step up to the plate and fight for her love, um, she wished that she hadn't done that because she don't, she didn't think she wasn't being abused and she didn't think that he would have divorced her had she not filed first. So that's the only person, believe it or not, that I've heard. But perhaps you've heard other stories. No, I haven't. Well, and I think that one is unusual because it wasn't. I guess I was thinking more for my listeners who are in abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. That I'm just was curious if you had known anyone who had been abused who actually wished that they had stayed, or who, would, oh. who thought who who looked back and thought, you know, maybe I could have made that work. You know, even the most the most abused women who are poor and living on, on the kindness of strangers, they are so happy to be out. Um, you know, their lives are, you know, they don't have the wealth they had before. They don't have the fancy house, 
but they're not being beaten. Their children aren't being molested. I mean, they feel peace and calm and they would tell you no regrets. Yeah. That's been my experience. I've, I've talked to, you know, I've talked to a lot of divorced women and just ask them, you know, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently? Well, there's things that they wish they would have done differently, but um, I, none of them, I mean, and yes, same thing, just not living to the, you know, not financially as stable as they used to be, but definitely happy to be out. And I have, um, I have a local friend who is, you know, she's been working multiple jobs and living in an apartment, whereas before she lived in a nice house and was a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. And she's just like, no, my life, she's really struggling, but she, but no, my life is way better now than it used to be. I would never, never go back in a million years. So, right. Yeah. Every, I would say, yeah, in 20 years of doing this and talking to hundreds of, of people, absolutely no regrets. Yeah. Well, life-saving indeed. I'm so glad that you wrote this book. I will, um, I recommend for all of you who are listening, if you, even if you know someone who is confused, or even if you're not thinking about divorce for yourself, but you want to educate yourself so that you know how to talk to other people who are thinking about divorce or or who are divorced, I think this book gives a great, it's a huge mind shift for people and it needs to happen in our church. We need to be aligned with what, what Gretchen shows in this book so that we can actually be life giving to the people who are being abused and, or who are being mistreated uh, or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Manipulated as well as those who are already out. They've gotten divorced and they're looking to find their place in the, in the body of Christ. Absolutely. And they deserve to have their place in the body of Christ. That's what they were created for. So we right. need to get them back in there and lock them in. And if they're feeling like they're being rejected just because they had a life-saving divorce, that's, that needs to end. It really does. Yeah. So. I, I, I just have to throw in one last comment. Uh, my, uh, it's available as an ebook. Um, for seven ninety nine, but the full book is is pretty thick. the The book is um, is eighteen ninety nine. But would you believe it? Half of the orders for this book are multiples, so they're yeah. buying more than one. So they're buying one for their pastor, or they're buying one for themselves and a friend, or they're buying one for you know themselves and and someone else in leadership or someone who's struggling in a marriage. So I've actually probably one in, in five orders that's placed is actually uh, large numbers, five and more. So I think that some churches, some pastors are really jumping on this and saying, I've got to re-educate my staff. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So go out and get, if you haven't gotten it, you need to go out and buy it now. It's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes, or you can just go to Amazon and look up Life Saving Divorce by Gretchen Baskerville. And thank you so much again, Gretchen, for being willing to come back here and share with um, the Flying Free listeners. And for the rest of you, thanks for listening. Until next time, fly free. Fly free.